As, you, as many of you may remember from your school days, our physical bodies have been created to experience life through five senses. Of course, because sin has affected the creation, those five senses don't always work correctly for every human being, but there are five senses in a healthy body. The five senses are sight, hearing, taste, smell, and touch. What exactly are they and what do they do? Here is a technical definition. Senses are physiological capacities that provide data for perception. Senses are physiological capacities that provide data for perception. Our bodies have been created to be able to see, hear, taste, smell, and touch. As I was thinking about these recently, a question came to my mind. The question I began to ponder was this. Of the five senses, which one is the most important in our relationship to the Lord? Now, someone could argue that none of our five physiological senses are most important because our relationship to the Lord is a spiritual relationship that takes place in our hearts or in the inner man. And that is certainly true. But we need to be careful that we don't segment our being into two completely separate categories that have no connection to each other. You know that is not how life works. As human beings, we are physical beings and we are spiritual beings. The two are somewhat separate, but they are often interrelated. So, again I ask the question, of the five senses, which one is the most important in our relationship to the Lord? It certainly isn't sight, because we are specifically told in Scripture that we are not to live our lives based on sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. The day will come when our faith will give way to sight, but that won't happen until we're with the Lord. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Revelation 22.8 tells us the day will come when we will see His face. So that day is coming, but that's not now. Sight isn't our most important sense in our present relationship with the Lord. Secondly, I think we can eliminate taste. Taste has very little to do with our relationship with the Lord. Not I'm not saying nothing, but that it has nothing to do with our relationship with the Lord. When we taste good food and good drink, that should fill us with thanks to the Lord. So taste isn't completely irrelevant. Furthermore, taste is a part of our remembrance together when we celebrate around the Lord's table. But taste certainly isn't the most important sense in our relationship with the Lord. Psalm 34.8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But that is obviously being used metaphorically. So taste isn't the most important of our five senses in our relationship with the Lord. Thirdly, I think we can eliminate touch. Touch has very little to do with our relationship with the Lord. We can't touch Him 
while he is in heaven and we are here on earth. In fact, after the resurrection, Jesus told Mary Magdalene in John 20, verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. We can't touch and hold on to Jesus because he has ascended back to the Father. Now, touch is very important in our human relationships, and there's a sense in which we experience the Lord through our human relationships, no doubt about that. But I think that you would agree that touch is not the most important of our senses when it comes to our present relationship with the Lord. Fourthly, I think we can eliminate smelling as the most important. It is true that smells, aromas, often bring about memories, and smells are tied to associations with life's experiences. So it wouldn't be right to say that smell is completely irrelevant in our relationship with the Lord. You may remember that Peter denied the Lord while standing by a fire of coals, and then Jesus restored Peter beside a fire of coals. It is likely that the Lord did that purposely. Because as Peter stood beside that fire of coals on the Sea of Galilee and smelled the unique aroma, his mind would have been taken back to the fire of coals he smelled in Jerusalem on the night he vehemently denied the Lord. So we should not say that smell is completely irrelevant in our relationship with the Lord, but I doubt that anyone would say it is the most important of our five senses in our relationship with the Lord. That leaves us with a fifth choice, and that is the sense of hearing. Hearing is, without a doubt, the most important of the five senses when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. How can I back up that claim? One of the most common statements of Jesus in his earthly ministry was the statement, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That command occurs 16 times in the pages of the New Testament. 16 times. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That command is at the heart of our text this morning in Mark chapter 4. So if you are not already there, please turn with me in your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, the second Gospel account, the fourth chapter, and please follow along as I read verses 21 through 29, which will form our text of consideration this morning. <clears throat> Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. Also, Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, and to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. 
and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, he himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. This passage of Scripture immediately follows the parable that Jesus told of the four kinds of soil. You will remember that 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 parable is told and explained by Jesus in the first 20 verses of this chapter. Jesus told the parable of the sower, or better, the parable of the soils, to emphasize that when the Word of God is sown, it falls on four kinds of hearts. There is the hard heart, the shallow heart, the crowded heart, and the receptive heart. Everyone who hears the Word of God falls into one of those four categories. Only the fourth category is acceptable because that category describes people who hear the Word of God, receive it, understand its significance, and end up bearing fruit in life. That is the basic gist or point of our Lord's parable in verses 1 through 20. And it is obvious, it is clear that Jesus considered it extremely important that his disciples really understand the significance of what he was saying in that parable. Therefore, he reinforces that teaching in the text we just read. Verses 21 through 29 of Mark chapter 4 are an emphasizing of and further explanation of what Jesus was talking about in the parable of the soils. In fact, the text breaks down very neatly into those two divisions. Verses 21 through 25 are an emphasizing of the importance of the meaning of the parable. And verses 26 through 29 are a further explanation of the meaning of the parable. So the common thread that weaves its way through these verses is the importance of and the meaning of the parable of the soils. Some commentators suggest, in fact many commentators suggest, and I understand why, that these verses are simply a collection of random thoughts from Jesus with no common thread. That's what I thought when I first read through them. I thought, what, what is this saying? What, I mean, what, what is the point here? This doesn't really seem to fit or make sense. So it's understandable that many commentators would say these, is, these are just random verses, random thoughts from Jesus in his teaching ministry. But you will see as we work our way through this text that such a view is not really accurate. There is a common thread. And that is our Lord's desire to make sure that His disciples and to make sure that we really understand and grasp the significance of what He was saying in the parable of the soils. The key phrase in this text, in my opinion, is found at the beginning of verse 24 where Jesus said, Take heed what you hear. The NIV says, Consider carefully what you hear. In other words, give some thought to this. Don't just sort of let it hit you and then bounce off. The the ESV says, pay attention to what you hear. 
The NASB says, take care what you listen to. If we translate this command from Jesus literally, it would read this way. Be seeing what you are hearing. In other words, Jesus was telling his disciples and telling us, see with your mind what you are hearing with your ears. Think about that statement. See with your mind what you are hearing with your ears. It was Jesus' way of saying what we commonly hear in our own culture today, the phrase, don't let this go in one ear and out the other. Don't don't miss this. When it goes in your ear, trap it in your mind and see it in your mind's eye. That's what Jesus was saying. And And we understand this kind of word picture. Sometimes a speaker will ask the question. It's a rhetorical question. You've heard it many times, I'm sure. A speaker will say, do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? And you stop to think about it, that's a mixed metaphor. We can't physically see what someone is saying unless the person puts his words in print or maybe puts it up on a screen. We hear what a person is saying. And if we really do hear what a person says, then there's a sense in which we see it. We see it in our mind's eye. That's the point Jesus is emphasizing in verses 21 through 25. He wants to make sure that we are seeing what he is saying. So, with that in mind, it should surely emphasize to us how important it was and is to Jesus that we get this. So let's jump into this really fascinating text, interesting text, As I already mentioned, verses 21 through 25 are Jesus emphasizing the importance of understanding the spiritual lessons in the parable of the soils. And then verses 26 through 29 are Jesus further explaining the meaning of the parable of the soils. Notice how he does this. Verse 21, also Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? The way this is worded in the Greek language lets us know that the first question expects a no answer, and the second question expects a yes answer. There is a way to word things in the Greek language that that gives you those answers by the way the question is asked. So, do you light a lamp to put it under a basket or under a bed? No. Do you light a lamp To put it on a lampstand? Yes. This is a reality that is obvious. This is something that is self-evident. When you light a lamp, you put it in some place where you can maximize the spread of light. Everyone knows that. But what's the point? Why does Mark record this statement of Jesus right after the parable of the soils? What is the connection? What is it saying? To answer that question, remember that Jesus has just contrasted four different kinds of people and four different responses to the Word of God. The first three are unacceptable responses to the Word of God, but the fourth response is the right one. The fourth category describes people who hear the Word of God and embrace the Word of God 
and grasp its importance and receive it into their lives in such a way that it bears fruit. Those who respond that way to the Word of God ought to want others to hear the Word of God and receive it also. Those who respond properly to the Word of God should want to shine forth to spread the effect of the light even further. That's the connection between what Jesus said in verses 1 through 20 and this verse. Let me say it this way to paraphrase what Jesus is saying. If we are hearing well, we should shine. That's what he's saying. If we are hearing well, we should shine. The one who has been enlightened ought to desire for others to be enlightened. That's why Jesus makes this statement here in verse 21, and he expands the same thought in verse 22. Notice what he says in verse 22. For, let me explain this further, for there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. That's a very difficult verse to grapple with when you first read it. What is it saying, again, in this context? I like the way the NIV renders this verse. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. But once again, this raises a question in our minds. What point is Jesus making by this statement? What's his point? How does this connect to what he's been teaching? To answer that question, we need to remember the full context of what is going on here in this fourth chapter of Mark's gospel. Remember, Mark 4 is a major change in the life and ministry and teaching of Jesus. It is here that Jesus began to teach in parables. Why did he make that change? What prompted it? Jesus used his parables to teach his disciples further But he also began to speak in parables to conceal truth from those who had rejected him. Remember, the parable of the soils, which we looked at in our last study in this series, the parable of the soils that Jesus told in verses 1 through 20 came right after he had been officially rejected by the leaders of the country of Israel who stated he was satanic. They asserted he's demon-possessed. That is a major part of what prompted a change in Jesus' teaching method. He began speaking in parables to further instruct and enlighten his disciples and to conceal truth from those who had rejected him and called him satanic and demon-possessed. However, this is key, however, he he did not want his disciples to assume that his intention was to conceal truth from everyone else except his disciples. No, no. Jesus wasn't creating some kind of secret society that was only for insiders who were among the initiated few. No, Jesus spoke in parables to instruct his disciples further so they would take the truth he gave them and pass it on to others. That's why he gave this clarification here in verses 21 and 22. Jesus did veil his message somewhat by speaking in parables, but his intention was not. It was not to hide his message from everyone else except his disciples. 
He wanted to make sure that his disciples understood his desire to have his message exposed to others. That's what he means by this statement here in verse 22. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. D. Edmund Hebert said it this way. I think this is a very insightful quote. He says, Things that are precious are hidden in order that they may not be abused or misappropriated by those who do not recognize their true nature or function. But they are hidden in order that at the proper time they may be brought forth for, and this is very insightful, for things that are never seen again are not hidden but are lost. You see, this was something critical for Jesus' disciples to understand and critical for us to understand. And that is why the next verse says what it does. Verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, you need to get this. You need to make sure you understand this. As you probably know, this was our Lord's way of emphasizing the importance of something. This was was our Lord's way of getting the attention of his audience. It was his way of saying, make sure you get it. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. You, You need to think about this until you really understand it. Thus, it is critically important for us to understand that the parables of Jesus used to veil spiritual truth from his enemies contain truth that Jesus wants to be passed along to others. This is basically saying what Jesus said in Matthew 5 about the importance of us as his people being salt and light to others around us. When you light a lamp, Jesus says, you put it in a place where it will spread the light in the maximum, for maximum effectiveness. In the same way, when the Lord gives us light, his desire is for that light to shine to others. Let me say it another way. The Lord doesn't save us and teach us for us to be a spiritual cul-de-sac. The Lord doesn't save us and teach us for us to be a dead-end street. He saves us and teaches us to be a light to others. He teaches us and instructs us so our lives will shine and our light will shine to others. And so in verse 24, he said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, and to you who hear, more will be given. As I mentioned earlier, the literal rendering of the first phrase in this verse is, be seeing what you hear. This is an exhortation, beloved, catch this. This is an exhortation from Jesus to us regarding spiritual perception. The Lord calls on us to give careful attention to what we hear from the Word of God to make sure we really understand it. Superficial hearing must be avoided, especially in spiritual matters. Let me say that again. Superficial hearing must be avoided, especially in spiritual matters. When we hear something, when we hear spiritual truth, we we need to make sure that we really hear it and we appropriate it. Or to use Jesus' words here, we use it. 
The ramifications are spelled out in the next part of the verse, which says, with the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. Oh, what a statement that is. Think about that one. Jesus is saying that those who embrace spiritual truth and act on it, those who receive spiritual truth and use it, will be given more spiritual truth. This is basically a promise of spiritual reward for diligent effort in seeking to understand and act on spiritual truth. And then Jesus adds more, verse 25, for, he says, let me explain this further. Let me develop this a little further. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This verse, if you take it out of context, sounds really unfair. Of course, there are a lot of verses in Scripture that sound strange or unfair if you take them out of context. It sounds like Jesus is saying that those who have good things in life will be given even more, but those who have very little will have the experience of having what little they have taken from them. It could be read that way if you take the statement out of context, but in context it means something quite different. It means something altogether different. Jesus is talking about those who apply themselves to the task of seeking to understand and act on spiritual truth. The one who grabs hold of the truth and appropriates it and uses it will be given more truth. Those who apply themselves to to that effort will be granted more spiritual truth. But those who do not diligently apply themselves to the task will lose what little spiritual progress they have been granted. Truth received and carefully assimilated enlarges one's capacity to receive more truth. Did you catch that? Truth received and carefully assimilated enlarges one's capacity to receive more more truth. This helps explain why some people can be around the truth for years and years, but don't seem to make much spiritual progress. Maybe some of you have wondered about that. I know I have as a shepherd, as a pastor. I have wondered about how can someone be around the truth years for years and years and seem to make such little spiritual progress. This explains it. Just hearing the truth or being exposed to the truth doesn't guarantee anything by way of spiritual progress. It guarantees nothing. There has to be an effort to grasp the truth, to grab hold of the truth, and to act on spiritual truth and use spiritual truth. That's what Jesus is referring to in this context. In the verses just preceding this text, we have the parable of the soils. And the final soil is a picture of those who receive the word and and hear the word and receive the word and embrace its message and, and appreciate its significance and act on it, which means they bear fruit. So that's what Jesus is encouraging by setting forth this principle or this maxim. He's encouraging us. Here's the bottom line, beloved. 
He is encouraging us to be those who really hear and receive and act on and use spiritual truth so we will grow spiritually. We have, we have, Jesus is is strongly emphasizing, we have an important responsibility in that process. An extremely important responsibility. However, however, lest we think that we can somehow make it happen, lest we think that we deserve the credit for our spiritual progress, or we deserve the credit for success in ministry, Jesus tells another brief parable to balance out our thinking. And notice how he does this, verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. This takes us right back to verses 1 through 20. The scattering of the seed on the ground, the parable of the sower, the soils. This is is expanding what Jesus said in greater detail when he told the parable of the soils, or as it is usually called, the parable of the sower. The seed, you remember, is the Word of God, and it is sown on the ground. It is distributed. It is spread out. It is sown on the ground. Verse 27. And should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, he himself does not know how. Now what's this point? The point here is that it is difficult to understand or explain how a seed germinates and begins to grow. The sower can sow the seed, but the sower can't make that happen. He can't make it germinate and grow. You can plant seed in your garden. You can plant seed in your field, but you don't have the ability to make it germinate and grow. You put the seed out, and you leave it, Jesus says. You go to sleep at night. You wake up in the day. You go about your normal routines. But, beloved, you and I don't have the ability to go out in the garden or out in the field and make the seed grow. You know very well, if you try to do that, you start digging at it and doing stuff, you'll kill it. Now, we can till the soil, and we can plant the seed, and we can give it some water, but we can't give it life. We can't reach down into the soil and somehow make it start growing. There is something mysterious in the growth of a plant. In fact, many people who sow seeds don't know or understand anything about why a seed germinates and begins to grow. Now, they may know the conditions that can aid germination and growth, but that doesn't mean they can explain germination and growth. The mystery of life in the seed is largely unknown or unexplainable. However, that doesn't stop the seed from growing because of what Jesus says in the next verse. Verse 28, For the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. Interestingly, the very first word in this verse in the Greek text is the word automatos, from which we get our English word automatic. It's placed at the beginning of the verse by design for emphasis. This process of germination and growth occurs automatically which emphasizes the power within the seed itself that acts independently of man's agency. 
The seed contains life within itself. Thus, it has the capability to germinate, grow, and bear fruit. Now, why is Jesus saying this? Is he giving us a lesson in botany? What's the point here? What is this saying in this context? Remember from the parable of the soils that the seed is the word of God. So the emphasis here from Jesus is that the word of God has the power in itself to do these things in a person's life. Our actions, our efforts are important as Jesus emphasized a couple verses ago. But listen, it's not our power that produces fruit in our lives or in the lives of others in whom we plant the seed. It's not our power. The life or power or energy is in the seed of the Word of God. James 1.18 says, Of His own will He brought us forth by the Word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. God uses the power of His living Word to open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts. The Apostle Peter said the same thing about the power of God's Word. 1 Peter 1.23 says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. God the Holy Spirit uses the power of His living Word to open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts. That's the power of God's Word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, The Word of God effectively works in you who believe. So there's a sense in which you can say that this little parable is the other side of the coin to the previous parable. Prior to this little parable, Jesus was emphasizing the importance of human responsibility in applying ourselves to the task of seeking to understand spiritual truth and apply spiritual truth. Act on it. Use it. But lest we think that it's all our own effort that produces spiritual results... Jesus tells this brief parable to emphasize the fact that the power or the energy or the life is in the Word of God and not in ourselves. This verse is illustrating the progressive development of life and growth. We have a responsibility to seek to understand spiritual truth and act on it and spread spiritual truth, but there's a sense in which we can't make ourselves grow, and we can't make anybody grow. We can't force growth any more than a farmer can force his seed to move from stage to stage to stage. Nevertheless, the Lord's will for us is to grow, to bring forth fruit that can be harvested, and to spread the seed so there will be a future harvest. And that is his summary in verse 29. But when the grain ripens... Immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The ultimate goal of seed sowing is to reap a harvest. That's self-evident. In the same way, the ultimate goal of sowing the Word of God or having it sown is to bring forth spiritual fruit for harvest. When we are exposed to the Word of God, we need to respond to it properly so that fruit is brought forth from our lives. We also have the responsibility to spread the seed to others for a future harvest. And when the fruit does come forth in and through our lives, there is absolutely no room for pride because it wasn't our power that produced the fruit. 
The power is in the seed or in the Word of God itself. So this little parable is a beautiful balance to what Jesus said earlier about our responsibility to seek to understand spiritual truth and act on spiritual truth and our responsibility to spread spiritual truth. Like many things in the Word of God, there's a sense in which there is a paradox here that cannot be fully explained. This is another illustration of the relationship between man's responsibility and God's sovereign working. This isn't easy to understand. I mean, when you first read these, this text, this is, this, this is not, it's not immediately apparent. But as you begin to dig into it and understand it, it is fascinating to see Jesus presenting two extremely important truths that he wants us to get. One, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to hear spiritual truth, embrace it, act on it. You have a responsibility to use it so that there's fruit. And then on the other hand, any fruit that comes doesn't come from your power. doesn't come from your energy. It's not you. No wonder Jesus said, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. These truths are not easy to grasp, which is why Jesus said, be seen what you are hearing. Those two statements back-to-back in verses 23 and 24 are Jesus' way of saying to us, beloved, you need to make sure you get this. You need to make sure you understand this. You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to, to receive spiritual truth and appropriate spiritual truth and use spiritual truth. You have a responsibility so there will be fruit. But when there is fruit, it's not your doing. It's not your energy. It's not your power. It's not your ability. Because the life isn't in you. The power is in the seed of the Word of God itself. It's obvious, beloved, it's obvious. Jesus wants us to get this because of the way he emphasizes it in back-to-back statements in verses 23 and 24. Therefore, we would do well to continue pondering these fabulous spiritual truths to make sure that we really get what Jesus was saying. Do you get it? Do you understand it? You and I have a responsibility. No passivity. We have a responsibility to be aggressive in trying to understand the Word of God and spread the Word of God. No laziness. No irresponsibility. And when fruit comes, do you take credit for it? Absolutely not. It's his doing, his power, his energy. Jesus wants us to get this. Let's bow together as we close. As you bow your head in closing this morning, this text, obviously, because it is spoken to us as believers about hearing the Word of God and embracing it and using it and spreading it, etc., and about the Lord's power to bring forth fruit, this is basically a message to believers. So if you are here today and you're a child of God, you know Christ, you are a follower of Christ, you belong to Christ, then Jesus wants you to get this. He wants you to understand these two extremely important truths. The responsibility that you and I have 
in relation to spiritual truth, receiving it, spreading it. And he wants us to understand we can take no credit for the fruit in our own lives or in the lives of others. It's not our power. It's not our energy. But if you're here today and you're not a child of God, that doesn't mean that this this message is completely irrelevant to you because the same principle of the importance of hearing the Word of God applies to you. And you need to hear the Word of God. That the Lord Jesus Christ, the message of the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ can give you life. He can forgive your sin. He can grant you salvation. And you need to respond to that. So I urge you this morning, if you're here today without a relationship with Jesus Christ, humble yourself before God. Right this moment where you're seated in the quietness of your heart and call out to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, for salvation, for new life. And Father, as we close this morning, thank you for our opportunity to have exposure to this very unique little section of Mark's gospel, this unique teaching of Jesus regarding our responsibility in relation to spiritual truth and then our inability in relation to spiritual truth. May we get it. It's obvious to us from reading this that Jesus wants us to get it. May we grab hold of it and not let it go. And for any, anyone who is with us this morning who doesn't know you as Father and doesn't know your Son as Savior, may your Holy Spirit draw that man, woman, young person, whoever it is, may this be the day that he or she surrenders to Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.